Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. It's great to be with you again and uh, another opportunity to open our Bibles and hear from the Lord. And uh, for this evening, we're going to look at uh, two short parables from Matthew's Gospel. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there, Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. So uh, today, I, I was given an opportunity to preach both the morning uh, service and the evening service, and so I wanted to preach, maybe think of it as a mini theme, and uh, preach about the kingdom of God. And so this morning's message was looking at the kingdom of God as a seed that grows. And uh, this evening, we're going to look at the kingdom of God as a treasure to be valued. From Matthew thirteen forty-four to 46, let's uh, read together. This is God's word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went on and sold all that he had and bought it. So in these two short stories, Jesus is teaching us about the value of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And we will see how entering into the kingdom of heaven and being part of the kingdom of heaven should be our top priority in life. And we'll see tonight from this passage how entering into the kingdom of God is both a thing of great great joy and a thing of great, great cost. But before we get into the stories itself, I want to give a brief explanation of what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is, because perhaps someone is new here, this is something familiar to you, what does this kingdom of God mean? And so I want to give us a brief Summary or, or a concise definition of what the kingdom of God is. So here it is. The kingdom of God is where God once done is done. So the kingdom of God is not just a place. It's not just some pretty place with nicely trimmed hedges with a sign like snobbish rules, who's allowed to come in, who's, who's not allowed to come in. The kingdom of God is, is much more than that. The kingdom of God is this unstoppable power of heaven that breaks into our world and it brings forgiveness and restoration and love and justice and mercy and peace and the best, the very presence of God and of course the rule of God and the reign of God. That's the kingdom. And this kingdom breaks into our hearts because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We sang about that this evening. It's because of that scene, Jesus bleeding and dying for our sins. And because he was resurrected and he reigns. 
And so Jesus cleanses us and he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. It is where what God wants done is done. That's the kingdom. So now we have a bit of an understanding, bit of a bit of a working definition. Let's jump into these two parables. And by the way, if you've never heard the word parable before, it's just, it's a story with a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. And so that's what we're after. We want to engage with Jesus on this truth that he is teaching us through these stories. So in the first story, there's a man who comes across buried treasure. Maybe some of us think, well, that's a bit weird. It's like something from a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. What's that all about? Uh, but, you know, it, it might seem weird for us. It wasn't weird in Jesus' day, right? Uh, it was actually something that was quite common because there were no banks, right? You can't go to F&B, can't go to Capitec and take your money and deposit it there. You, there were no safety deposit boxes at the bank for your precious family heirlooms. And so how do people keep their stuff safe? Basically, the only option is that they had to hide it away. So they would hide it in their house somewhere or they would hide it outside underground, But if something tragic should happen to that person, then the location of their treasure is lost for someone else to dig it up. Or wars, another reason. Um, People, when they knew the soldiers were coming in, they didn't want their stuff to get raided or looted, and so they would hide their treasure, hide their belongings underground so that the soldiers can't find it. But then if the people should tragically die in the war, then also the treasure is lost. And so it wasn't too uncommon in Jesus' time for there to be buried treasure. And so we are told that there's this guy in the field. There's this man in the field and probably a guy that's working there, probably a manual laborer. Uh, Maybe he's digging a trench. Maybe he's digging a well or something. And as he digs, he hits into something hard and and he takes a look and he sees that there's this treasure buried in the field. And it tells us that he goes and he sells everything He goes joyfully out and he sells everything he owns to buy that field so that he can get the treasure that is in the field. So basically, he has to liquidate all of his assets. Just think about that, right? He has to sell everything, sells his house, sells his car, maybe watch he got for his anniversary or something, sells his phone, he sells, well, didn't have phones those days, but just imagine, right? He's selling absolutely, didn't have watches either, but selling absolutely everything, And he does it with a smile. It's pretty wild. How can you do that? It's because the field with the treasure was far, far more valuable than what he had to sell in order to get it. Then the second story is kind of similar, but a little different in some ways. We see here in this second story that there's a merchant. doesn't stumble upon something, but he's actually searching. He's searching for fine pearls, not just any pearls, right? This guy wants the good stuff. He has a refined palate for pearls. Now, it also might be helpful to know that in Jesus' day, pearls were very, very, very valuable items, and mainly because it was so hard to get, right? So people, 
If they wanted some pills, they had to go out on a boat, tie a rope around themselves, and jump into the ocean and get some oysters and open them up, and hopefully there would be a pill. And only on the rarest of rarest of rarest occasions would they find a fine pearl, which was worth millions of rands in today's money. So for the merchant, this is his life ambition, is to look for fine pearls. And one day, he finds one. And he looks at this pearl and he thinks, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. This pearl beats all the other pearls that I've ever seen in my life. Nothing else comes close. And similar to the first story, he goes and sells everything to buy this one pearl of great price. He goes to the pawn shop and he says, guys, bring the trucks. Come to my house. Take, take everything. I'm, I'm selling everything I have. And he does it with a smile on his face. Now, what is it that we learn? What is it that Jesus wants to teach us through these stories? And these parables are drawing our attention to the fact that the kingdom of God is so, so valuable that losing everything on earth but gaining the kingdom is a happy trade. Let me use a practical illustration here. Who thinks that 10,000 rand is a lot of money to spend on something? It depends on what you're buying, though, right? I mean, if I said, here's a broken hairdryer, 10,000 rand, like, no ways, I'm not going to spend that on a hairdryer, right? But if, I, if someone had to say, here's a brand new, out-of-the-box Lamborghini for 10,000 rand, you're going to make a plan, right? You're going, to say, you're going to say, here's my money. I'll sell whatever I need to sell to get this 10,000 rand. Because when it comes to a Lamborghini, that 10,000 rand is pocket change. And that's where the parable is challenging us in the most profound, profound way. It is your personal ambitions and your personal possessions and your personal dreams and desires are nothing when compared to the infinite value of the kingdom. Jesus is saying through this parable, give up your small ambitions because I'm offering you something far, far greater. So here's the principle that we draw from this. I'm going to give you the spiritual principle, two-part principle, and we're going to unpack it a little bit further. So I'll give you this principle. The kingdom of God triggers unconditional surrender because of its unimaginable splendor. The kingdom of God triggers unconditional surrender because of its unimaginable splendor. So let's talk about those two ideas. So first, unconditional surrender. In both these stories... People value what others miss. They see the value in something, but in order to get that something, they can't be half-baked. They have to be all in. They must surrender all. They must sacrifice everything. They must sell everything. Total surrender, total commitment, or nothing. And friends, that's what happens when Christians truly enter into the kingdom of God. 
And it's so important for us to understand because when we accept Jesus into our lives, we don't accept him to come and just make a little bit of tweak here and make some improvements to our life. It's not life improvement. It is a complete dramatic change. Colossians 1.13 says, God rescues us from the dominion of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of his son. And so when we enter into the kingdom of God, it means there is a new reality, there's a new order. We are no longer under our own authority. We come under the authority of Jesus and there's no in-between. You can't have one foot in the kingdom of heaven and one foot in the kingdom of darkness. You can't have that. you either under self-sovereignty or you are under God's sovereignty. You can't have both. And so truly entering the kingdom of God triggers unconditional surrender triggers the same response as the people in the stories, that I'm willing to sell anything and everything to get this. It means you look at your life and you say, nothing that I have compares to Jesus. Choose between Jesus and your image, you choose Jesus. Choose between Jesus and whatever else, you choose Jesus. Your money, Jesus. Sexuality or Jesus, Jesus. What about academics? A lot of you, sure, are studying at university. And uh, you might say, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. But are you willing for others to see it? And not just see it when you're sort of having a cup of tea with another Christian type of thing. But, but actually in your worldview and your behavior and how you do your work and how you do your studies. Are you willing to have... Jesus, enter into those spheres. Because in the, in the world of academics, there will be people who say, you know, this Christianity that you believe, how can you believe something outdated, so outdated? Don't you know that if you believe this stuff, then you're not going to get far in the world of academics. Why don't you drop this stuff? See, who do you choose then? Do you choose academic accolades and success and the views of unbelieving scholars, or do you choose Jesus? Here's another example, our view of the Bible. Some people might say, you know, I believe the Bible is a good book, and I believe that, you know, this, this, is, this is the Word of God, but there's certain things in the Bible that I just can't really accept. Maybe, you know, we are beyond that now. It's kind of outdated. It's not relevant for us anymore. Um, and so we might say, some might say that person is kind of balanced. He, he likes the Bible. He appreciates the Bible. But, you know, he's a thinking person. And so he's a balanced person. But the question is this. On what basis do you decide? Even if you say, I accept 99% of the Bible by effect, you are saying that my intellect and my experience determines what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And friends, that is not entering the kingdom of God. That is not coming under God's sovereignty. Either God's word is the authority over our lives or it isn't. You can't be half-baked. You can't have both. When we enter into the kingdom of God, we have to surrender everything. Come under the lordship of Jesus. 
And of course, there will be things that we don't really like. I mean, if, if, if you absolutely love and understand and appreciate and don't have struggles with, every, with, with anything in the Bible, then maybe you're not really reading the Bible. Because, you know, like, you read the Bible and there's certain things, it's like, wow, it, that's hard to, to take. But that's what lordship does. It means submission. It means surrender. Even if we don't, if we don't think it's agreeable or sensible, we have to give up everything. Listen to this great illustration from C.S. Lewis, which he wrote in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts you and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. Why? Because he intends to come and live in it himself. Friends, when we enter into the kingdom of God, it's not a call to sacrifice just so that you can prove that you're committed or religious. It's, it's a call to give up your small ambitions. It's a call to give up everything and submit to God and everything because we gain so much more. It's the trigger of unconditional surrender because of unimaginable splendor. And so let's go there for a few minutes. Let's talk about this unimaginable splendor. When we see the beauty of Christ, when we start to plumb the depths of his love for us, when we fathom his glory and greatness, when we start to understand the meaning of Christ in us, the hope of glory, when we start to ponder the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.9 where he says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And when we think of the power of death and the stench of sin removed and we sing with Paul, oh death where's your sting, oh grave where's your victory, or when we dwell on Revelation 21.4 where it says you will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. When we set our minds on the unimaginable splendor, everything changes. Some people stumble upon this, like the guy in the first story, someone who is invited to come to church but never really that interested in Christian things and comes to church for the first time and hears the gospel for the very first time and that person is just blown away. It's like, I, I need this God. I need this gospel. Or some people, they, they are seekers of spiritual truth and for years they're seeking truth and they're coming to church and seeking answers and then finally they get to the pearl of great price. They get to the gospel 
And so it doesn't matter which way it is, the result is the same. When the kingdom of God intersects with our lives, this is how it comes. We are confronted with the knowledge of God, His glory in the face of Jesus Christ, and it is like nothing we have ever seen or experienced before. And so I want to ask you, have you had that kind of experience? Have you heard the gospel and thought, man, this is what I need more than anything else? No matter what the cost, this is a treasure of infinite worth. This is the pearl of great price that I've been looking for. This is what I need. Jesus is exceedingly precious. Have you had such an experience? See, this biblical concept of supreme preciousness is very, very important. And it comes up in at least two pictures elsewhere in the New Testament that I want to quickly unpack for you. The first is in John chapter 12, verse 3 to 8, where we find this amazing story of a woman named Mary anointing the feet of Jesus using this really expensive ointment, and she poured this ointment over Jesus' feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. And this act made at least one of the disciples really uncomfortable and he blurted out and he said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So he tells us how much it's worth. Uh, One denarii is one day's wages. So this is a, a, a full year's worth of wages. Perhaps, you know, this was like... This was like her piggy bank. This was her savings. This was saving for a rainy day. This was her little nest egg. This was her future. And she poured it over Jesus' feet in a beautiful act of worship that filled the house with its fragrance. See, Mary saw Jesus as supremely valuable. She poured her future over his feet. And in so doing, she demonstrated who was most precious in her life. The second picture is something we see in Paul's words in Philippians 3.8, where he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What is Paul saying here? If you read from the beginning of the chapter, you find that he is referring to all the other pearls that he has acquired for himself in life, all the other pearls that he had strung around his neck, and they were indeed impressive pearls. He was a leader of the strictest sect of his religion. He was a thoroughbred Jewish man, a Hebrew of Hebrews, an educated man, a man who kept the law, a man who had incredible religious zeal. But he had never encountered the pearl of great price. He had never encountered Jesus. The kingdom of God has never broken through into his heart. But then you read Acts chapter 9, you see that all that changed one day when Paul had an encounter with the living Jesus. And Jesus met with Paul, and for the first time in Paul's life, he saw the pearl of great price, and none of his own pearls compared. In effect, he says, 
I count my other pearls as rubbish in order that I might gain the pearl of great price. And so we see this principle of unconditional surrendered surrender triggered by unimaginable splendor in the life of Mary, in the life of Paul. And so what about you? In your heart, try and answer this question. Do you see Jesus as supremely precious? Is, is he the treasure of your life? Do you see him as the one who has ultimate value, ultimate value. And maybe you're here and you feel like yes is the correct answer to give, but you know deep down inside you can't really answer like that right now because there are other things that are in competition. What do you do with those feelings? The parable is not saying go and sacrifice more. It's not saying that. It's not saying, go and try harder. That would be like saying, go and search for other pearls. It's not saying that. The message tonight is simply, look. Through eyes of faith, look at what has ultimate value. See the cross. See your Savior, see the empty tomb, see the King on His throne, and hear Him call out your name. And consider the God of unimaginable splendor, the God of incomparable kindness, unmatchable faithfulness, unthinkable mercy, loves you and wants to make His dwelling with you. And realize that when you get Jesus, you get everything. And so if there's someone who's never experienced seeing Jesus through eyes of faith, I implore you to call upon his name. He's faithful. Repent of your small ambitions. Repent of your misguided desires. Repent of your sin. Repent of your self-reliance and self-rule. And trust in the name of Jesus for salvation. Surrendering everything to him and the kingdom of heaven will welcome you in. And for the Christians among us who have had that experience of seeing Jesus as precious, seeing Jesus through eyes of faith, friends, we are called to keep looking because we live in a world where every day we are tempted with small ambitions and lesser things trying to steal our hearts away from Christ. And we resist those temptations by looking at the true treasure. We resist those temptations by looking at the pearl of great price, looking to Jesus again and again through Scripture, through prayer, through worship, through directing our thoughts to Him, through cherishing Him in our hearts, trusting Him. So may we tonight, may we receive grace to keep looking, keep treasuring Him until our final breath where we will see Him face to face. And then we will know it was worth it. But finally, I want to share just the final word regarding our gospel efforts as a church. And so youth leaders and worship 
leaders and student workers and missionaries, pastors, church leaders, parents, grandparents, all those who serve the Lord. This is important. The main thing is always to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing for us as a church is to show forth the unimaginable splendor of Jesus and his kingdom. So I want to share one last story before I pray. Um, I remember talking to this older Japanese Christian lady about how difficult it is to do gospel ministry in Japan and spoke to her about other religions in Japan and how difficult it is to get through to people with a different worldview and how Christianity is so small. And I remember specifically asking her, how do you tell a Japanese person or how do you tell anyone else? Because it applies, it applies to everyone. How do you tell anyone that their beliefs are wrong? That they are living in a, in a false kingdom? How do you make people aware of that? Because when you go, at least in my experience, when you go to someone, you say to them, that's wrong, that's not right, you should change that. If they're holding that in this hand, when you tell them that's wrong, they just clench it even tighter. How can you tell me that this is wrong? Who are you to say that? And so this Japanese lady told me, never forget it, she said, imagine a Japanese person, they're holding their religion and their worldview in this hand and they're clenching it tightly. And she said to me, Show, show that person the beauty and the majesty and the love and the compassion and the greatness and the value of Jesus and put it in this hand. And when they start to more and more appreciate and hold on and see the truth and the beauty of Jesus, then what they're holding in this hand will start to open up and they'll start to let it go so that they can receive Jesus fully. And this has become so instrumental in my approach to gospel ministry in Japan because the main thing is to show them Jesus. And so if there's one thing you can pray for us, help us to be faithful in showing Jesus. Life's greatest treasure, the pearl of great price. And may that be the case for all of us. May we really cherish him. And may we show him to others because he is infinitely worthy. Let's pray. Jesus, you are indeed life's greatest treasure. You are the pearl of great price. And that is what we have seen tonight. And so God, help us to look away from the cheap knockoffs. Help us to look away from the fake treasures and the phony pearls that are not of heaven, fake treasures and pearls that does not lead to real joy. Help us, God, instead to turn our gaze to you, to stare into the face of truth and beauty. And may we surrender our lives to you, knowing that it leads to real life in your kingdom that will never pass away. Our hearts were made for worship, but only worship directed to you will give us lasting joy and fulfillment. So, Lord, here we are. 
show us your surpassing value that we may treasure you above all else. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.